0: So our chapel speaker, I'm super excited to announce him. He's also our retreat speaker. It's Mr. Pastor Skylar Harley. Um, he is the young adult pastor at the Refuge Church as well as the outreach pastor. And I'm super pumped because he's led by the Holy Spirit, and he's here for a purpose, and he's here for a reason, and he has a word from the Lord. So thank you, Pastor, for coming. <laughs>
1: How are you guys doing today
0: to start off this new school year? You guys get a little bit of a retreat only a week and a half into the year. I think that's pretty awesome, right? Are you guys excited for the retreat this week? Yeah, I see some heads nod. You guys are grateful you're not going to be in math class, right? Amen. No offense to the math teacher. I heard a hey over there. Let's pray real quick. Uh, Father, I thank you that you sent me today in the spirit of Isaiah 61 to proclaim good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to comfort the brokenhearted, Lord, to set free the captive, those who are held captive by the lies of the enemy, and to release from darkness the prisoner. God. So I pray let that become the ground we stand upon today, the reality we experience as we together encounter Jesus and step into your story, even as it's written for this generation. I thank you, God, that you invite every generation to participate in your eternal plans and purposes and every individual to participate in what you're doing in their generation. So I pray this week as we're together that you would help us to get caught up in the story of Jesus. Help us to encounter you and to love you more. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. So as we're together for what's going to be four sessions between Wednesday and Friday, kind of the theme or the series that we'll be talking about is out of... 1 Timothy 4.12, if we could flash it on the screen. I know it was in or on the screen when we came in here together. Let's read this out loud together. I'm going to count it for three. Ready? One, two, three. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young. But set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Amen. So, again, kind of the title of this series or the talks I'm going to be giving you over these next four days is Letters to a young generation or even letters to generation Z, which all of you guys belong to. And I'm going to read that same verse out of two different translations real quick, just to kind of set the stage. And this first one is from the message and it says, don't let anyone put you down because you're young. Teach believers with your life by word, by demeanor, by love, by faith and with integrity. And again, in the new living translation, don't let anyone think less of you because you are young and be an example to all believers in what you say, in the way you live, in your love, your faith, and your purity. Now, before we really get into the thick of this verse, we're going to be kind of dissecting and talking about different pieces of this verse and this theme throughout the week. I want to kind of set the backdrop that this verse, this charge that's given to Timothy from his mentor, his spiritual mentor, Paul, is set against. So we could understand. It's very easy. to have a stage behind me. You can imagine. You guys do like school plays or shows here at the, the school, that even before any of the actors or actresses step on the stage, when the curtain is drawn and you see the backdrop or the setting, it tells you something about what you're about to see. Like if you were to walk in and you had no idea what play you were about to see, but you saw a wagon on the stage, you could probably assume that's gonna be set on the prairie, maybe it's about pioneers, or maybe if you saw like giant giraffes and you know the tree of life from the Lion King, that you're on the African Sahara, right? So we understand that backdrop and context Sets the stage to understand what the actors are to do. So I want to go back to the beginning of this same chapter in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and read the first two verses. This sets the backdrop for what Paul is instructing Timothy to do in 1 Timothy 4.12. And it says the Spirit, speaking of the Holy Spirit, makes it clear that as time goes on, which I take this to mean that we're further along in the story than even Timothy was. So what I'm about to read to you is more true. More true than it was for Timothy, even at his time. Some are going to give up on the faith and chase after demonic illusions put forth by professional liars. These liars have lied so well and for so long that they've lost their capacity for truth. The same two verses in the New Living Translation, just to give you some different adjectives. Now, the Holy Spirit tells us clearly that in the last times, some will turn away from the true faith. They will follow deceptive spirits and teachings that come from demons. Wow, it's pretty intense. These people are hypocrites and liars, and their consciences are dead. So when it's referring to the last times, we have to understand that God's timeline is not the same as our timeline. We know that a thousand years is as a day to the Lord. So really from the time Jesus ascended to the Father in heaven, we've been living in this period called the last times, right? We're awaiting the second coming of the Lord, which is going to be awesome. And glorious for all to behold. But I understand. I don't know if it's going to happen next 20 years, 200 years. That to me is not as important as the fact that if they were saying we're living in the last hour, the end is near. That was 2,000 years ago. As the timeline would have it, we're closer than they were. So the events that are going to intensify in the last days... Are gonna get more and more intense. So it's talking about some are gonna turn away from the true faith. Understand that when people turn from the faith, like if you once knew who Jesus was, and I worked with college students, young adult pastor, as Miss Allie said, I see this all the time. Where I'll say, Hey, do you have a relationship with Jesus? And people will immediately say, I haven't been to church in a while. Well, I'm like, well, that's not the question that I asked you. I didn't ask when was the last time you went, and you met together with God's people. I said, Do you know Jesus in a personal relationship? Those are two very different things. Or some people will think, I've I've, I've since changed my mind on some of those ideas and concepts. Jesus is not a theoretical concept. He's not just good theology or doctrine. He is a person. So what they're actually choosing to do is divorce or separate themselves when we talk about turning from the faith, from relationship with Jesus. It'd be like if Kaden and I were best friends, and all of a sudden I say as I transition to the new school year, I'm done with Kaden. as I transition to this new period of life. Sorry, bro, i am turn my back on you. I don't want to be in a relationship with you anymore. And it tells us why these people are going to do that. Because they're going to believe lies that are put forth by professional liars. What makes somebody a professional in any endeavor? They're really good at it. Which means that when they tell you a lie, you're not going to recognize it as a lie because it's going to be so padded with all this stuff that you want to hear that you're going to believe it's actually true. And then all of a sudden, it gets weaker and weaker and weaker and weaker. It causes us to get confused. And we say, oh, there's so much going on. I can't figure out what's truth and what's lie. So I'm just going to turn my back on this whole faith thing altogether. It says in the last part of that New Living Translation verse that their consciences are dead. How many of you have ever... uh, The first time you did something you knew was wrong, you felt terribly guilty and ashamed of it, and you were like, I'm never going to do that again, but then all of a sudden, like two days later, you did the same thing, and after that went on for a couple weeks or months or years, all of a sudden, it didn't bother you the same way that it once did, right? So immediately, when I tell a lie, even a white lie, there's something that kicks into here in my conscience because I don't try to make a habit of lying that tells me that was wrong, that wasn't truthful. But if I do that over time, many of you probably know someone in your life who's a habitual liar, and they can't even tell the difference between whether it's telling the truth and the lie. It all just kind of strings together and makes it very hard to believe these people, right? All this to say that Paul is writing a letter to Timothy saying the backdrop, the context, the stage that you're living on is going to be dark, and Timothy, I'm calling you to be a bright light shining against a dark backdrop. You guys understand what I'm saying? So going back to 1 Timothy 4.12, it says, don't let anyone think less of you because you're young. And I want to look at this in a couple different ways. We could think of that as don't give anyone a reason to think less of you because you are young. Don't confirm by your lifestyle some of the biases they already have towards a young generation. But again, instead, be a bright light shining against a dark backdrop. Don't let anyone intimidate you because you're young. Don't let anyone talk you out of your calling because you are young. Don't let anyone make you feel less chosen because you're young. Don't let anyone make you think you can't make a difference at the current age you're at. Don't let anyone make you think you should put off living for Jesus until you get all the stuff out of your system that you want to do in your youth. Don't let anyone cause you to settle for anything less than everything Jesus died to purchase for you. Did you know that during Jesus' earthly ministry, he was actually leading a youth group and young adult ministry? That all the disciples, the 12 who left everything to follow Jesus, it's believed by scholars, were somewhere between the ages of 13 and 30. Peter probably being the oldest because we know that he was married at the time that he chose to follow Jesus, but the rest of them were probably somewhere in junior high or high school, that equivalent, in their day. And I want you to think about, though Jesus often preached to the multitudes, the one that he chose to invite into the Behind the scenes, the fireside chats after revival would break out in the city and they'd be discussing. Oh my gosh, did you see that paralyzed guy? get up? Did you see the blind eyes open? Like, Jesus, that one teaching you gave was like super hard. We don't really understand that. And they got the behind the scenes. The one that Jesus chose to invest the most amount of time in. What's an investment? It's an entrustment. It means that he's going to take something that's very, very, very valuable. Things that people from the beginning of time wanted to see And here, even the prophets like Moses, Jeremiah, Isaiah, they longed to see what the disciples saw, to hear what they heard. And Jesus said, here, I'm giving it to a bunch of 13, 14, 15, 16, 17-year-olds. And when I ascend to the Father, they're going to be the ones I entrust with the responsibility of taking this message to the ends of the earth. And we're still talking about 2,000 years ago. In other words, don't let anyone talk you out of what God can do in your life, even at a young age. Consider some of the other examples all throughout Scripture. We know that David was a young man so young and so looked down upon by his brothers that when Samuel comes to Jesse's house to find the one that the Lord wants to anoint as the next king of Israel, he's not even in the room. Like every other brother was invited, the famous prophet of Israel, Samuel is coming to the house today. He's got a ram's horn full of oil he's going to find somebody that the Lord's going to show him as the next leader of the whole nation. And David is out doing the job that nobody wants to do. He's not in the right place at the right time. And he's too young to be considered to even be there. But Samuel says, I'm not going to leave this place until the last son is brought. And when he shows up in the room, the Lord says, that's the one. Anoint We know that shortly afterwards when Goliath, this giant, comes taunting the people of God. Everybody else is cowering in fear. This has been going on for some period of time. David shows up just bringing food to the soldiers on the front line. And he says, who's this uncircumcised Philistine who's mocking the people of God? And one of his brothers said, oh, you're just a prideful youth, too zealous. Why don't you go back to where you came from tending those little sheep? But David stays persistent and he believes that he's the one who can take down the giant. And even Saul says, you're just a boy." He's been trained in warfare since his youth, basically saying you're not qualified, but we know how the story ends. Amen? How about King Josiah, who was anointed to be king of Israel at the age of eight, who had a terrible family example and said that both his father and his grandfather did evil, did detestable things in the sight of the Lord. But it was written of King Josiah that even from a young age, he did what was right. In the way of the Lord. He broke a generational curse. He said, I'm not going to go the way of my family. I might not have a good mom and dad who gave a good godly example for me, but I don't care. I'm going to do what's right. About 18 years later, he starts reconstructing the temple, rebuilding the meeting place of the Lord in his generation. And while they're rebuilding the walls of righteousness, which I believe God is calling all of you to do in your generation, they rediscover the Bible. Like they had lost the ancient scroll. That told God's people how they were to live. And I'm believing that hopefully in the course of these next three days. God is going to cause some of you to rediscover the word of God in your life. Like blow off the dust. You might know exactly where it's at in your house. But you've lost it. It's become covered with dust. And it it doesn't have the place it's supposed to have in your life. But King Josiah at a young age rediscovered the words that were written by the prophets. And instead of just saying, ah, you know, that was for people back then. He starts laying on his face, fasting and weeping, repenting before the Lord, and not just him, but he invites an entire nation and generation to come from him. And you know what? His generation was supposed to be set apart for judgment, but the Lord spared an entire generation because of one young person's example to wholeheartedly turn back to God and follow all of his ways. Don't let anyone despise you because of your youth. What about Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Who were teenagers, believed to be somewhere around the age of 17. Put in a Babylonian culture, which means basically opposite of everything God values. Idolatry, sexual promiscuity, all the type of stuff that we're seeing in our culture again. But they said, we will not bow our knee to the cultural norm of this day. We'd rather be thrown in the lion's den or put in the blazing furnace, whether God rescues us or not, than deny the living God. Because we've made a decision that even in our youth, we will serve the purposes of the Lord in our generation. What about Jeremiah, who was called to be a prophet at a young age? And he said, I can't speak and I'm too young. But God said, who cares? (laughs) Like, I'm the one who called you. And I believe today it's not me calling you. It's not Miss Alley. It's not any of your administrators or your teachers who's putting a call in your life. But God is going to pinpoint and prick some of your hearts this week and call you out to be leaders and an example in this generation. Because I believe that you were born to be a world changer and your generation desperately needs people who will provide an example, not lip service, but an actual example of what it looks like to wholeheartedly follow Jesus with all your life. The second part of that verse, after it says, don't let anyone think less of you because you're young, but be an example to all believers. And it starts to list how you can be an example. Everybody say this with me. I'm called. To be, an to be an example. One more time. I'm called, I'm called to, be an to be an example. Say it this way I don't just talk the talk, I walk the walk. And how many of you know that there's a huge difference between those two things? Major, major difference. And here's the thing some of you might not actually think it's like, oh, this is just an inspirational message to start the year. And, you know, we've heard these types of things before, and they fizzled out. But God likes to make examples of the least likely people. Like Jesus shows up one time at one of the elite religious leaders of the day's house for dinner. And everyone's just kind of reclining, chilling out, got comfortable with Jesus. They're feeling really good because Jesus showed up for their party. And all of a sudden, this woman who had been in a cycle of sin, at one point even possessed by seven demons, it says... Comes in because she's been set free by Jesus carrying an alabaster jar that was worth a year's worth of wages in that day. And she knows exactly what she's there for. She's scanning the room. She's looking, where's Jesus at? Where's Jesus at? She comes up behind him. She shatters that jar. Begins to anoint his head with oil. Begins to wash his feet with her tears. And Jesus said, this is an example of what the true worshippers look like. All of you think that you have special favor with God because of your position, because of your title, because of how many years you have invested in this thing. But I wanna make an example of a true worshiper out of the least likely person in the room. How about the boy with the loaves and fishes, right? You know that in that day, he wouldn't even have been counted in the census. So when it says there was 5,000 men present, it wasn't counting the women and children. So Jesus took a few loaves and a few fish from a little boy's lunch that wasn't even counted in the census and used it to feed somewhere between 15 to 20,000 people. Perhaps the scraps you feel like you have in your life are more than enough to serve this generation. How about the Roman centurion who wouldn't even have been allowed in the temple because he was a Gentile by birth. And him saying, Jesus, you don't even have to come to my house. My daughter is dying. You can just say the word from where you are and I believe that she'll be healed because you have true authority. And Jesus said, whoa, I'm impressed by this guy's faith. In fact. I'm going to make an example of his faith. I haven't found this much faith in all of Israel, the chosen people of God. I believe that Jesus loves to point at in every generation examples in the least likely people, the people that society is looking down on, the people that nobody is looking for revolution to come through. And I believe that there's a Jesus movement rising up in this generation. And it could start in this room. It could start in local Christian schools and public high schools when people get serious like King Josiah and say, I'm going to be one who's going to turn back to the Lord with my whole heart and let my life, not just my lips, become an example of what it looks like to follow Jesus. Check out this statement also written by Paul, who's writing the letter in Timothy. In 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, he says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Wow. What a bold statement. I wouldn't feel comfortable telling someone that. Like, not just follow me while I'm on the platform preaching the gospel, but come home with me. Watch how I live. Watch how I interact with people. Watch how I interact with somebody who's rude to me. And you'll get a good idea of what it looks like to follow Jesus. Think about for a second. If someone were to look at your life when they have an example of what it looks like to follow Jesus. Really think about it for a second. Or would your life, regardless of what you profess... Look mostly the same as everybody else. I know it's convicting, but it's God wants to put these questions in our hearts so that we can get back to what it looks like to truly follow Jesus with all our lives. So we can accurately and confidently say to a generation, follow me as I follow the example of Jesus. Let me give you a quick picture of what this actually looks like. Uh, RJ, do you mind coming up real quick? So I'm going to give you a quick illustration of four responses that every generation has to following Jesus. Let's give it up for RJ real quick. Some beautiful vocals up there as well. You don't mind scooting forward just a little bit. So the first person would be the person who makes a conscious decision to turn their back on Jesus. And they say, I want nothing to do with him. And usually this is rooted in some type of belief that faith either makes God more or less real. So for the person who believes in God to a great extent, God is more real. He kind of exists or he's like an apparition. Where, like, when I think of him, he's like one of those, if uh, you ever seen Star Wars, like the image, you know what I mean? They come in and they come out. God is ultimate reality.
1: Which means that regardless of the amount of
0: faith I have or don't have, he's very real and he's very much there. What scares me about this is that many in this generation who have turned their back on Jesus think that because they're choosing not to look at him, they'll never have to stand in front of him. But if RJ represents Jesus on the last day in this illustration... All of us are going to stand before the judgment seat of God, this is not to put fear in your heart, but all of us basically one day are going to stand in front of ultimate reality, the one who's always existed before you ever had a thought in your mind about him, before Moses or Abraham or any of these people were ever called out, before Adam and Eve were ever placed in the garden. He's the great I am who's always existed from forever to forever. And one day, regardless of how much or how little faith we have, we're all going to turn around. And I could be living my whole life saying, college, these are my years. High school, junior high, these are my years. I'll do what I want. I'll have the relationships I want. I will live as if God is not there. But one day, (laughs) oh, but I thought I had done such a good job erasing you in my mind. How is it that now I'm standing in front of a very real, very tangible God that I had convinced myself so well, was not there. All of us are going to have that reality. So for some of us, we say, okay, I'll at least acknowledge, based on what you're telling me, that he's real. I want, like, fire insurance, you know? Like, I want to know, you know, just kind of check the box on the Christian thing, have the right beliefs. But I don't really want to follow Jesus closely. So I'm going to just ask, because following Jesus is an active thing, right? So I might say, oh, uh, you know, I've got to tie my shoes. I'll be right there, Jesus, you know? I'm going to catch up and then... Uh, keep going. I, I can still see you, Jesus. I mean, I'm coming. Don't worry. I just got to hang out with my, with my boy RJ. We're, or Sorry, with Caden real quick. And We're going to hang out. But I'm coming. And before I know it, he's out of my sight and the best years of my life have passed me by. And now I'm trying to catch up to Jesus because I was following him at a distance. Why is it that many will turn their back in the last days on Jesus and not be an example to their generation? Because they're not following right on the heels of Jesus the way Paul was. And Paul's instructing Timothy, a young generation, to do. There's a third type of person. I'm gonna invite RJ, again, representing Jesus, to take off. I'll say, hey, I'll be right there, but let me grab all my baggage, right? And all of a sudden, I'm coming after Jesus. But all this cumbersome stuff that I was supposed to leave at the altar, oh, man, I dropped my bag. Uh, I'm trying to bring with me, right? And this could be, like, the relationship or that boy or girl that's, like, no good for me. It's like, I can see you in the distance, Jesus, but... You know, I just got all this stuff that I don't want to let go of. And it could be, you know, addictions that you have and things that nobody knows about. But it's causing it to be really difficult to get to Jesus. On the day that you chose him as Lord and Savior, you were supposed to drop the things of the world. So it would become easy for you to stay right on the heels of Jesus. Because there's only one way to follow Jesus. Especially as the days and seasons and the time that we're living in gets more and more intense. And more people are going to leave Jesus, which means the popular norm will not be to follow Jesus. Well, since the dawn of time, it's not been popular to follow the ways of God, but that doesn't matter, because he's worth it, and someday we're all going to face ultimate reality. This is the one and only way to follow Jesus. He takes off, and I'm grabbing onto his shirt. And no matter how rough life gets, no matter what happens in my family circumstances, no matter how many people are choosing to follow with him, no matter how intense the days and times and seasons that I'm living in, I am stuck to Jesus because I'm a clinger. And I know that that word's not popular like in dating relationships. don't be a clinger. That's not good, don't be clingy. But with Jesus, the treasure hidden in the field, the one who's worth everything, you grab onto his garment and you don't let him out of your sight. And you stay so close to him that you can say it is safe for a generation to follow my example because I am following the example of Jesus. I'm literally covered in his dust and I'm walking on his footsteps all the time. There's only one way to follow Jesus. At a distance, you're going to get distracted by life. With baggage, it's going to become too cumbersome and you're not going to stay the course. And you're going to give up, not because it was hard to follow Jesus, but because you had difficulty letting go of the stuff that was never good for you in the first place. But let me tell you, the greatest ride, the greatest adventure, and it's not boring at all, is clinging to the garment of Jesus and joining him in the greatest story ever written in humanity to redeem all people. So that all people can spend eternity with a God who's always loved them from the start. But the devil wants nothing more than to deceive you through professional liars that this journey is not worth it. That Jesus is something other than who he truly is. But let me tell you, he is the greatest thing you could ever give your life to. And over the next three days, we're going to talk about what it looks like to follow the example of Jesus. What does that really mean in speech and conduct and love and faith and in purity? And why does it matter so much? Go ahead and bow your head, close your eyes. I want to pray for you guys. And if you're feeling stirred right now, I'm not going to ask you to come to the front. We're almost out of time. But if you're kind of like, yes, I want to be an example. Maybe I've followed at a distance where I've got a lot of baggage. But as you're talking about this, I just want to be a King Josiah in my day. I want to be a David. I want to be like the disciples who left everything to follow Jesus. Basically, I want you just right now, without any hesitation or anyone looking around, just to shoot your hand up in the sky. And what you're saying is, God, pick me. Pick me in my generation. See me. See my desperation to be used by you, God, to turn the hearts of men and women, old and young, back to you. I want you just to shoot your hand up boldly and confidently and just say, yes, pick me, God. Pick me. Here am I. Here am I like Isaiah. Here am I. Send me, God. And I just want to pray a blessing over you. And I believe many more are going to sign up for that call as this week goes on. And I'd invite you even to stand if you're raising your hand. Because to stand for Jesus in these days requires boldness. So don't be ashamed. You just stand up for Jesus. Jesus said, anyone who's bold for me, I'll I'll boldly acknowledge them before my Father in heaven. That's going to be an awesome day. So, Father, I bless these youth. Lord, we do not despise or look down upon their youth. We bless them in their youth to become an example to all generations of what it looks like to follow closely on the heels of Jesus. We pray pour out your spirit in the next three days upon these youth and give them the ability, Lord, to hold on with all their life to join you in the greatest adventure. Lord, we thank you for their yes. It carries through eternity, God. And we pray, bless them now. Fill them up for the others in this room. We pray, open their eyes even more as this week goes on. Penetrate their hearts. Give them ears to hear, Father God, that they would join you, Lord, in your story for their generation. So, God, we thank you for this time. We thank you for the beginning of this retreat. And uh, we we love you, Jesus. And we say, meet us here. Meet us at Crowder's Ridge these next three days. God, change lives. Mark lives for eternity. It's not a a hype message. It's not just about this next year. It's about eternity. God, mark lives for eternity. We ask in Jesus' name. And everybody said in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much. With that, you guys can head to advisory. If you guys have any questions or anything like that, you can talk to your advisors. And um, thank you so much, Pastor Barley for coming. We're excited for our Seniors, stay here.